I was for nine years, about nine years, a, a youth and family minister at uh, San Marcos, Texas at the University Church of Christ there. And Brennan Hooper was one of the youth where I was uh, employed. Brennan and I have enjoyed getting to watch him grow as a man of God. And it's a wonderful thing to be able to stand here and to introduce him this day and to tell you that he is a gospel preacher. You appreciate people because of great choices that they've made in their life. I was privileged to baptize Brennan. I was privileged to serve as a, uh, a groomsman in his wedding uh, several weeks ago now. And I was privileged on his behalf uh, over the summer, uh, between his first year and his second year of studies there at the Southwest School of Bible Studies, to approach the elders here because Brennan had lost some of his support. Now, that's a fearful thing just because uh, anytime you're depending on the goodness of brethren to get you through a school of preaching to be able to study God's word and all of a sudden that, that support is not there, um, that's cause for alarm. But even more so, he was just a few weeks away from being married. And, uh, and so I came to the elders and asked them if they wouldn't uh, consider uh, supporting Brennan for his second year of Bible studies, uh, school of Bible studies, and uh, they uh, cheerfully agreed, and I appreciate that very much. Brothers and sisters, I don't think you'll ever know the good that's done in the name of Christians and congregations like Graver Road and the missions that we support, certainly in places like the Philippines and places like Pennsylvania and places like India. But there's something also about encouraging, supporting preachers to go out and certainly evangelize in the United States and appreciating the good that work is going to be done in the name of Christ because of men like Brennan. I know you can appreciate that, but it may be that it's not until the judgment day that that's revealed. Brennan has a wonderful new wife, Savannah. I appreciate her so much, very much, and uh, she is a crown to him. And I know that you'll enjoy hearing him this morning. I'm going to invite Brennan to come and speak to us and for all of us to listen to him. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, certainly an indescribable pleasure to be able to speak for you this morning. I uh, appreciate, uh, as Andy was saying, the, the support that, that came our way from you. Uh, it, it definitely re relieved a lot of stress that, that was uh, accumulating over that time. Uh, Appreciate uh, Andy and his family. I know you've probably got this feeling already, but that y'all are certainly blessed beyond measure to have them here. Um, he was growing up as a teenager in the church. He was about the greatest role model he could have. If you haven't already turned your Bibles to John four, I would invite you to do that, do that right now. Uh, once again, I'm very thankful to be here this this morning. The, uh, the topic for this morning is that of belief, belief in regards to, to biblical truths. And, and I'll tell you, when, when I was putting the, this, this, this lesson, this sermon together, uh, whenever I came to that, that topic, it was, it was a bit overwhelming, uh, all, all the different ways that I could approach it, all the different things I, I could bring, bring out about this, this vast uh, topic in the Bible. Now, among those of the quote-unquote Christian denominations, belief is not something that is uh, heavily uh, disputed uh, for salvation. Um, other topics could be discussed that, that would be controversial outside these walls, but, but again, that of belief is not argued regularly as a necessity for salvation. Pretty much everyone who professes Christianity agrees. And because of that, I, it's, it's my experience that uh, as far as, as gospel preaching goes, that of uh, specifically belief has gone uh, untouched. Maybe it is because we think 
Uh, it, we assume that it's too basic for, for our discussion. And I noticed this whenever I'm trying to put this, this lesson together, uh, looking for, for studies uh, for, for my research. Uh, I found little to no uh, sermons preached on it, and I didn't really find a whole lot of uh, helpful articles on it as well. You know, sure, it, in some ways it's a little self-explanatory, but I hope we don't take for granted the power of a strong belief in God and all of his teachings. Because belief is a very powerful tool. So powerful that, that it can even be a dangerous tool. For instance, there have been some cases uh, observed by doctors and such where there have been women who, who have got into their heads that they're pregnant when they're actually not. And their belief somehow, I'm not going to pretend I know how to understand these things, but somehow so much that, that their body starts showing signs of being pregnant. Again, I, I don't understand that, but... Uh, belief is a very powerful thing. How about those people who irrationally get into their heads that they have a demon inside of them? And while we know that's not true, uh, that doesn't stop them from, from hurting themselves and others around them. And belief is, a very, is very powerful. And that is why, in part, it is so important to put our minds toward a strong belief in God. Now, as Christians, there are things that, that we must believe. There are things that, that our religion demands that we believe, such as that, that God is the creator and the sustainer of all living things. Genesis 1, 1, Psalm 19, 1. Or how about that, that he has revealed himself through his word, 2 Timothy 3, 16. How about that, that he uh, is abounding in mercy and grace, Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, and that he demonstrated that, that mercy and that grace by sending us Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy 1, 15. And it is that man, Jesus Christ, who we find on the scene in John chapter 4. Once again, if you haven't turned there already, uh, we're going to be reading uh, that, that the section that was read uh, earlier uh, once again in just a second. But in this context, we, many of us know that, that Jesus, uh, all he wanted was a drink of water. And by asking a Samaritan woman for that water, he broke both uh, gender and, and racial barriers. And after it is that, that he had this, uh, this conversation with her and slowly revealed himself as the Messiah... She, after telling her countrymen, she and uh, the other Samaritans had a certain reaction to him. Read once again with me in verse 39. It says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. She said, He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he, he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe. Not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and know that he is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So she, the woman, and the other Samaritans believed in response to him. After gathering the information that, that they had about him, they found it to be an imperative to believe in him. And that's what our topic for this hour is, the imperative of believing. Why it is imperative for each and every one of us uh, today. Now listen. I don't want us to get lost in the fact that at least most of us agree that, about these things. That Jesus is deity, uh, that this is God's word, and that God's word uh, sends us that message that he is God and that we should believe in him. Don't take these facts for granted. Because these things, these very fundamental things, are, are things by which the very gospel system is founded on. Don't, take, uh, don't look past the fact that, that God 
has revealed himself to us, and that through his word, he begs us to believe in his son, Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to have three observations, three points as uh, to why believing in Jesus Christ is imperative. Number one being, he is the focal point of history. He is the focal point of history, or you could say he is the focal point of the world. Now, you don't have to read that far into your Bibles to see Jesus. Technically speaking, you only have to look at verse 26 of Genesis 1, where God says, let us make man in our image, signifying for us the nature of the Godhead. But specifically, just, just three chapters in, in Genesis 3, after uh, Eve had been deceived, she, she took of the fruit, uh, deceived by the serpent, and God is addressing the serpent in Genesis 3.15, saying, he shall bruise your heel, and you shall bruise, uh, excuse me, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Again, Genesis 3.15. And the reason it doesn't take that long for us to read about him is because before those words were ever recorded, he existed. Before those words were ever spoken, he existed. Uh, the prophet Micah, was speaking of the one who was born in Bethlehem, said that um, he, his goings forth were from old, from everlasting Moses would say in Psalm 90, uh, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Jesus himself affirmed that, that he is uh, the self-existing uh, eternal one. In John 8, 58, when he said, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, he's saying before Abraham was born, I was. Uh, while he was living, I was. After he died, I was. And I am now and I am forevermore. But again, that man is the one, uh, he's, he's the focal point of the history of the world. The whole Old Testament is about getting us to Christ, or to tell us that, that, that Christ is coming. And that, that is why men like Moses wrote, saying, there's going to arise a prophet like me, who speaks face to face with God, like me, he's going to rise up and you're going to hear him. You're going to read about that in Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 and following. That's why men, uh, a man like Balaam, you know, we may know Balaam as, as the guy who, who was talked to by his donkey. But in Numbers 24, he, he starts uh, speaking uh, by the inspiration of God and he says, I see him. I behold him, not now, not near. But a star uh, shall rise up out of Jacob, a scepter shall come up out of Israel. That's Numbers 24, 17. That's why Isaiah wrote of the, of the suffering servant who would be, uh, he would be uh, wounded for our transgression and bruised for our iniquities, uh, Isaiah 53. That's why David spoke of both himself and the resurrection of the Messiah when he said in Psalm 16, 10, for you will not leave your whole, uh, you will not, uh, excuse me, I should probably read this. You will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. As again, Psalm 1610, the revelation of it is spoken of in Acts 2.27. That's why he would again say in Psalm 110.1, The Lord, that's Yahweh, God the Father, said to my Lord, that word is Adonai, uh, Yahweh, uh, God the Son, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Which is both... Uh, fulfilled in the New Testament and repeated five different times in the New Testament. That's why Jesus said in John 8, if I bear witness of myself, then my witness is not true. He's saying, if I'm the only one who's bearing witness of myself, if I'm the only one who's saying these things about me, then my, my witness alone doesn't hold a whole lot of ground. Uh, 
And that's why he'd go on to list five different things that all bore witness to him. He said, uh, John the Baptist, uh, the miracles I performed, uh, the Father, Moses, and, and the writings of old. They all testify of me, that they all bear witness of me. So again, he is the focal point of the world. To be more specific, his death is the focal point of, uh, of history, of, of the world. Secular history revolves around his death, yes, but uh, we are here to study the Bible, so let's think about this in biblical terms. You think about all, all the, the great moments in biblical history. About whenever Abraham distinguished himself as faithful and was promised to be a father of many nations. How about whenever Moses, uh, through the power of God, uh, parted the Red Sea for Israel to, to make their exodus out of Egypt? How about whenever Joshua proved himself to be uh, one of the greatest leaders in history and fulfilled the land promise and took the land of Canaan? Even whenever, uh, whenever, whenever Israel, through God's providence, uh, freed themselves through Babylonian captivity. Or even when Jesus Christ was born on this earth, friends, all of those things, how great they may be, none of them compares to the cross. Think about this. Whenever the Old Testament writers prophesied about Jesus, it was imperative for them to look toward what they were prophesying. Whenever Christ was prophesied, they did not fully understand exactly what they were talking about. They knew the nuts and bolts about it. They knew that there was going to be a Messiah, that, that he would save people from their sins. But he, they didn't know the specifics. That's why Peter would write in 1 Peter 1.12 saying uh, those, those things, you know, those things that, that have been prophesied, that have been fulfilled. Uh, we know about them, but those who wrote about them, it was hidden from them. Those things that even the angels decided to look into. But it, it was imperative for them to look toward the Messiah with great anticipation. But we now, now have the privilege of standing in this part of history, and we can look back on what he did. We can look, look back on what he did with great uh, appreciation. And friends, if we were to ignore what he did, and if we were to ignore that he is exactly who this, this book right here says he is, friends, not, not only would we be failing as Christians, no, not, not only as Christians, we'd be failing as very human beings. Human beings who have a place in history because he is the focal point of history. Number two, believing in Jesus Christ is imperative because he takes unbelief seriously. He takes unbelief very seriously. You know, we, we could talk about unbelief as a whole through the Bible. We could talk about a man like Moses who had worked, uh, worked his tail off uh, to get an ungrateful people into uh, the land of promise. And about how he couldn't pass over into uh, the promised land for one central reason. After he struck the rock to give Israel water, whereas God had told him to speak to it, um, God tells him that the specific reason as to why he can't enter the promised land. In Numbers 20 verse 12, God says, Because you did not believe me. To howl me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring the assembly, uh, this assembly into the land which I have given them. What prevented Moses from entering into the promised land was the sin of unbelief. Or we could go back to the garden and how, uh, where God had told Adam in Genesis 2, he says, yeah, you see all these trees, all these trees I have given to you and they're good for fruit, <laughs> except for that one. Don't touch that one. And that, that message would have been repeated to Eve, but we find in the next chapter uh, that, that she is deceived by the serpent once again. 
contrary to what God had commanded, and her actions showed her unbelief. We can mention so many of these these characters from the Old Testament or, or the New who lacked appropriate belief in what they knew God had said. And there are, again, so many things surrounding this, this topic that we can discuss. But we are, again, discussing belief in regards to the man whom history revolves around. We have already examined uh, how the inspired writers expressed that he was coming. And now you get to the New Testament, and, and what it's saying is, he's here, or he, is, he has come. And what else it's saying is, he is God. And this is especially seen in the book of John, which is where we're going to spend the remaining, uh, remaining uh, portions of our time this morning. John, of course, recorded the life of Christ, but he wrote specifically to prove that, that Jesus is the king, that he is the son of God. And his record is different in the fact that, that his writing was reactionary. There had arisen this, this very strange doctrine called Gnosticism. It did very many uh, weird, di- different things, but, but the main thing that it was doing is it was casting a shadow of doubt on the deity of Jesus. So John writes now to disprove those, those falsehoods. And as opposed to the, the, the previous three gospel accounts where they, they opened up with Jesus' physical birth, John goes all the way back to the beginning. He says in John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he seeks to prove uh, that this word, Jesus Christ, is what he said he is. And to instill belief in the people. Now, we, we've already discussed uh, John 4 and how he is the, the Messiah. How he revealed, revealed himself as a Messiah to the Samaritans. We briefly discussed John 5 and the five things that, that he called the witness uh, to him. And you run through the entire book. And uh, that theme of belief runs through the entire book. Andy, this morning, mentioned in class, uh, you could go through the book of John and you could uh, uh, write down every, every uh, reference that deals with belief. Now, if you were to do that, you may run through two or three pens because uh, that, that, that's going to take a while. But uh, as this whole theme of belief runs through the book, I want us to take us to the end of the book. John chapter 20, if you would be turning there. John chapter 20. In this context, you see that, that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead, that Mary Magdalene saw him and told the disciples of him, to which Jesus revealed himself to the disciples, showing them in his body, how his body still bore uh, the marks of crucifixion. And beginning of verse 24 is where Thomas gets his infamous, infamous nickname. Verse 24 it says, Now Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see his hands in the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, Thomas, I believe, gets just a bit too much heat, too, a bit too much uh, more heat than, than he should. Don't get me wrong, he was definitely at fault for, for not believing this, but you can't tell me that uh, uh, all the other disciples being put in his, his position, um, all, if not most, if, if not all, would uh, be, uh, do the exact same thing that he did. But as you keep reading, the, what the rest of this chapter tells us is, once again, that, that Jesus takes unbelief very seriously. Begin in verse 26. And after eight days, his disciples were again uh, inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came to the doors, being, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, 
peace to you. Then he said, Thomas, reach your finger here. Look, look at my hands. Reach your hand here. Put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those uh, who have seen and yet have not seen yet have believed. So Jesus plainly, clearly says, Thomas, don't be unbelieving, but believe. To which Thomas uh, uh, comes to the conclusion, uh, he, say, he says, my Lord and my God. And friends, right there, that statement right there is exactly why, why John was writing. He wrote so that we may too say, Jesus, my Lord and my God. And, and if there wasn't any, any doubt about that while John was writing, uh, he gives his purpose statement in verse 30 and 31, where he says, And truly, uh, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you may have life in his names. You cannot read this book, the book of John, or the whole Bible itself, you cannot read this book without coming to the conclusion that Jesus is deity, that, that he is God, that we ought to believe in him, and that not believing, he takes very seriously. He takes unbelief very seriously. Number three, believing in Jesus Christ is imperative because he is imperative for salvation. He is imperative for salvation. Again, this may be a simple concept, that one that is not heavily disputed among those who profess Christianity. It is, unfortunately, not totally free of, of controversy. Uh, Joel Osteen, the, the, the quote-unquote uh, pastor who quote-unquote preaches to his, his megachurch, I, I, I guess around here somewhere, I, I'm not sure, um, he, he put his input into this in, on CNN in 2005. Or he went on to uh, Larry King Live. And I have part of the transcript here uh, with me. Larry King had asked questions. Uh, he says, what if, what if you're Jewish? What if you're Muslim? And you don't accept Christ at all? Don't you have to believe in Christ? They're wrong, aren't they? To which uh, Mr. Osteen replies, I don't know if, if I believe they're wrong. Only God can judge a person's heart. You know, I spent a lot of time in India with my father, and, and I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about their religion, but this is what I know. I know they love God. And I, I don't know. I, I've seen their sincerity, and so I don't know. All I know is for me is I want what the Bible teaches, and I want to have a relationship with Jesus. How can a man who profess, uh, professes uh, to teach and preach the same Bible that, that, that we have, how can a man like that say such things? Men, men like Joel Osteen can say uh, things like that all day, uh, but unfortunately the man that he claims to have a relationship also put in his input into this. When he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. If we can't even agree that Jesus Christ is imperative for salvation with people who uh, profess him, who, who wear his name, if we can't even agree that he's imperative for salvation with them, friends, this is a sad situation that we find ourselves in. This is a, a very sad world indeed. Let me take a moment to speak to you about objective and subjective truth. 
object of truth, something is objectively true whenever uh, its conditions are met without bias caused by a sentient subject. To say that something is objectively true means that it is true for all peoples, all cultures, all times, etc. In other words, it is true because it is true. And then you have uh, quote-unquote subject of truth. That's whenever something is based off of someone's uh, perspective, uh, feelings, opinions, or experiences. And we live in a world full of subjective truths. Pretty much the, the motto for the religious world in general today is what is true for uh, me is true for me. What is true for you is true for you. But if we were to come uh, back down to reality from that statement, we would see that that actually doesn't make any sense. Because uh, subjective truth is only true whenever it agrees with objective truth. This book right here is objective truth. Why? Because it's from God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is a book of objective truth. And guess what this book of objective truth says? The whole thing screams, Jesus is Lord. The whole thing says he is the only way to be saved. And it doesn't take a whole lot to prove that. Uh, Joel Osteen's view what was quote-unquote subjective truth. It, will, it was what was true for him, but it is not what is true for God. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 8. This, this, these things that we've, we've been saying are clearly seen in John chapter 8, that it is not hard to prove that, that Jesus is imperative for salvation. John chapter 8, if you would, begin with me beginning in verse 21. Verse 21, then Jesus said to them, those are the Jews, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews says, said, will he kill himself? Because he said, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath, and I am from above. You are from the world, and I, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, well, who, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have, I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the, uh, to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing in myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things which please him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Friends, this right here is the crux of it all. He said, it says, if, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will uh, sin, Well, which in the Greek is this word, uh, hamartia, which paints this picture of missing the mark. Well, it's like, it's like there's uh, your target here, maybe you shoot an arrow, but you totally miss it. There is right and there is wrong, and that's pretty black and white. That's about as black and white as you can get, but, but that's how it is with, with objective truth. There is a right and there is a wrong. And then you have the desired result in verse 30 whenever these people uh, once again uh, believed in response to him. But, but who is this he that he speaks of? He says, if you do not believe that I am he, 
He answers that in verse 25. He says, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. Or in other words, he's saying it's, it's what I've been saying all along. Who has he said that he is? What, what has he already claimed? How has he described himself up to this point? Now, once again, in the same chapter, he said, before Abraham was, I am. Again, saying, I was there before Abraham while he was living after he died, and I am now. Uh, and the, the, these words that he spoke echoed the words of Exodus 3. When the angel of the Lord spoke out of the burning bush to Moses, saying, I am uh, who I am. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He had plainly called himself the Son of God many times. He, he said that he and the Father were one, John 14 and John 17. He said that he was the Messiah, John 4. He said, I am the bread of life. He said, I, I'm the light of the world. I, I'm the door to the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the, uh, the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. All of these things from the book of John, and all of these things he has summed up in one uh, subject pronoun. All in one word. He, if you do not, do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He's saying, if you do not believe that I am all the things that I have said I am, you will die in your sins. Of course, that's not to say that all you must do is believe in him and then you will be saved. That is uh, a notion that, that scripture itself rejects. But this is what you would call a synecdoche, meaning a part of a whole. It's a part uh, of, a, of, of a whole system. But belief is, is the beginning of salvation. Belief is the point where Jesus stops becoming just a man who once lived and he starts becoming Lord of your life. And Jesus is not saying these things in John 8 to hurt anyone's feelings. No, he, he's not saying anything, any of these things to hurt anyone's feelings. He's saying this because he knows that this is objectively true. He's saying this because he knows that, that there's no other way to be saved. He knows, uh, he's saying this because he, know, he wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4. He's not saying these things because he's trying to hurt your feelings. He's saying these things because he loves us. Now, once again, believing in Jesus Christ is imperative because he's the focal point of the world, because he takes unbelief seriously, and because he himself is imperative for our salvation. Now, friends, it may seem at times that, that we're fighting an uphill battle. That there's actually so few people who truly believe in Jesus. But I want to leave you with one final thought from one final context. You don't have to turn here. But in Philippians 2, verses 10 through 11, that tells us that there is going to come a day where everyone will believe in Jesus Christ. And that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in that ginormous group of people who are all bowing and confessing, there's going to be two uh, divisions among those people. There's going to be the one group who is bowing and confessing, and they're going to be thinking, I knew it. I knew Jesus was Lord, and it was shown in my life. And there's going to be a sense of excitement among those people. But then the other group, who is also bowing and confessing, just as the first group, they're going to be thinking, I now know. Jesus is Lord. I now believe in him. But in that group, that second group, there's going to be a sense of fear because they knew throughout my life I did not live with the disposition that in my life Jesus is Lord. Now ask yourself, which of these two groups do you fall into? 
Now, whenever I say believe, uh, I don't just mean to think in your mind, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, because uh, belief and, and faith are, are pretty much synonymous in the Bible. And in biblical faith, there's three parts. There is uh, accepting, there is trusting, and there is obeying. So there's a sense of action and belief. Now, friends, Jesus is Lord. Now, please ask yourself, do I truly believe that? Have I truly accepted? Have I truly trusted? And, and do I obey? Do, do I act? Or is my belief only in thought? If you do truly believe that, please ask yourself, is this seen in my life? Can others look at my life and see that, that, that I believe uh, that, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Now, friends, if not, there, there may be some things that, that need to be changed. Uh, if you have any need this morning, friends, and I know the brethren here are here to pray for you. They are here to help you in any way. If you have any need this morning, please come now as we stand and as we sing. Uh.